Hey, community of faith, you know, uh, some of you last week were thinking, oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm almost there. And I know some of you, because I know you, you said, if he invites us to baptism again next week, God, I'll do it. I'm inviting you to baptism just for that. Okay. We had a big line out after the first one, the first service. So I know that he's calling you full out into this journey with him. And I want you to, to do that today. So we have everything for you. Like Paul said, you can come out, go out there right after the service. Laura and I are so excited to be teaching you together today. And, you know, I talked to you last week about tools of intention, about the purpose of marriage, that God instituted marriage for this purpose that was really important. And if you didn't get to hear that, go back and grab that free on YouTube or whatever. But I was going to talk to you about tools for dysfunction today, but as Laura and I were studying this, we realized we're going to need one more week because we're going to talk to you next week about tools for dysfunction. Some of you are going like, oh, you know, I mean, not that you're like so disappointed because you're so dysfunctional. You wish you could have had that today, but you know, I think culture a lot of times is speaking to us so loudly that we thought it's kind of important that we get the biblical principles down so that we can really understand marriage. And I think what we're gonna share with you today is gonna really, it's tools for understanding, for understanding each other. So I wanna jump right into that. A priest and a nun were lost in a snowstorm together and they stumbled upon this little cabin and it was evening, it was freezing cold and they were so glad, oh, thank you God for this little cabin and they went inside, there was only one bed, there was also a pile of blankets and a sleeping bag and so the priest being a gentleman, he said to the, to the nun, he said, sister, you take the bed and I'll take the sleeping bag on the floor and so she got in bed, covered herself up with a blanket and he zipped himself up in the sleeping bag and he was just about to doze off to sleep when she said, father, I'm still cold. He said, well, just a minute. So he unzipped his bag, got out, got up, and he got another blanket and he laid it on her. And she said, thank you. And got back in, zipped himself all up, just about to fall asleep. And she said, Father, I'm, I'm still so cold. And she said, just a minute, sister. And so he unzipped it and he got up and he got her another blanket and he laid it on top of her and, and uh, thank you, Father. And he got back in to his sleeping bag and he sat there and he had just almost dozed off when she said, Father, I, I'm freezing, I'm still just so cold. And he said, sister, we're out here in the wilderness. We're hundreds of miles from anyone. Let's just pretend like we're married. And she said, fine by me, the priest said, get up and get your own stupid blanket. Hopefully your marriage isn't like that. But you know, if I, if, I, if I came to you and we walked into your house or into my house, let's say, I'm walking into my house, I tried to flip on the light and nothing happens. I've turned the light switch on, nothing happens. So I turn it back off and I turn it back on and I, well, I thought it would work that time. What if I spent the next two hours, instead of, you know, bringing you on in the house, I just kept flipping the light. Oh, not sure it was going to work that time. You'd say, this guy is psychotic, right? You know, something, he's had a break or something's going on. Well, culture has given us some tools that says this is great for marriage. And some of us are trying so hard and we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. It's time to change the bulb. And so that's what Laura and I want to do with you today. We want to give you some principles from scripture that are so very different than what culture is trying to tell us about men and women. What does the Bible say about men and women? Let's, let's, let's take a look at that. The first tool that we want you to see today is that we need to be who we were created to be. God designed and created men and women purposefully. And um, when we learn to be who God created us to be, it changes everything. I mean, society, like Mark says, tries to tell us that we're all the same. But, I mean, if you and I just look at one another and the interactions that we have, we can see that we're different, right? I mean, if four women go to lunch, they're going to call each other by their names, right? Cherie, Samantha, Laura, Maddie are going to call each other Cherie, Samantha, Laura, and Maddie. But if four guys go to lunch, what do they do? 
I mean, Bob, Jim, Jack, and Steve, they call each other peanut head and fat boy and loser and useless, right? I mean, they have all these other names for one another. We're just different. I mean, a guy will buy a $1 item that he wants for $1. A woman will buy a $2 item for $1 that she doesn't want because it was on sale, right? I mean, we're, we're different. We do things differently in an argument. A woman always has the last word because the next word the husband speaks is the start of a new argument, right? That's true. <laughs> I mean, I just remember when Mark and I, when our kids are little and at home, I mean, I knew everything about them. I knew their schedules, the school schedule, what was coming up, when they had to go to the dentist, when they had appointments with the doctor. I knew who their best friends were, what they liked to eat, you know, who they, who they were irritated by. You knew what their hopes and dreams and everything about them. And I was vaguely aware that there were some short people in the house. Too, exactly. Us, you know? <laughs> we're different. We're just different. But the important thing that we recognize is that God created us that way on purpose. We're different by design. It was intentional in God's way. Let me read you from Genesis 1, 26 from the Amplified Bible. What the Amplified Bible does is it takes the original Hebrew and it amplifies it out for us in, in, the, in the English language. It says this, Then God said, Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness. And then let me read you Genesis 1:27 from the Orthodox Jewish Bible. So God created humankind in his own Salem image. In the Salem Elohim, the image of God, created he him. Sakav, male, and Nekabal female created he them in spite of what popular culture is trying to tell us that gender is only between our ears the bible says something different we are nekebao and sakab male female and we're not only physically gendered but relationally gendered masculine feminine spiritual beings that are to reveal something about god and as we look at this, it's so interesting. The word nekebao, which is female, denotes an entity equipped with a facility designed to receive something not of that entity and incorporate it into the entity's self. Sakab denotes an entity with a facility designed to infuse its own reflection into another, the relational expression of a person's sex the God-reflecting part of our gender. You know, we live in a broken world, and we're all broken, so we have broken relationships, right? I mean, you've all experienced that at some point or another. Maybe you're in the middle of that now. Our families are broken. It doesn't matter if you have a traditional family or a blended family or a family of divorce or a non-traditional family. Whatever family you have, we have brokenness in it because we're all broken. But when we understand what we were designed and created for, the reason that God made us male and female, and we begin to live in that, things begin to change how we relate to one another, how we feel about one another, how we respond to one another. So that's why we want to talk about that today. I want you to listen to Genesis 2.18 where the purpose and identity of a woman is revealed by God himself. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but I used to cringe when I heard this verse. I'm going to make him a helper. I like mean, hamburger helper, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> who wants that, right? I mean, that doesn't sound like any great uh, creation. It sounds almost like a second-class citizen. And I think the translation of the words sometimes have... Uh, made it even worse for women across the years. Um, the word for helper there in the Hebrew was actually two words, azer kenegdo. And they were translated into English to mean helper and, and help meet, actually, someone who comes alongside the other person. And, and in the old English, help meet was actually a very strong word. But in our English today, it sounds kind of like a mealy mouth little, you know, mouse coming alongside not 
Anyway, not something that I wanted to be, not something that was encouraging for me as I read it. But here's the thing. God could have used any name for the woman when he created her, and he chose this one, Azer Konegdo, and it's a strong name. It's a strong word. The translation that, that we've heard over the years for a help meet, you know, maybe you've been taught that in your church formerly or in your family or in your community. It doesn't sound strong, but it actually is. Ezer actually has two meanings in Hebrew. It means to rescue or to save or the strong one. That's what God is saying about the women that he created, a rescuer, a life saver. That's more than just a helper that comes alongside, right? Isn't that who you would want to be? Konegdo indicates that the Ezer is the man's match. Literally, it says, as in front of him or opposite to him, corresponding to him. I love how the modern-day theologian Victor Hamilton of Asbury University puts it. He says this, Konegdo suggests that what God creates for Adam will correspond to him. Thus, the new creation will be neither a superior nor an inferior, but an equal. The creation of this helper will form one half of a polarity and will be to man as the South Pole is to the North Pole. I love that description, the South Pole and the North Pole. You know, we need both of them on our planet. What would happen if we just had one pole and not the other? Do you know? Our planet would cease to rotate, So then half the planet would be in front of the sun always and eventually burn up, and the other half of the planet would be without the sun always and would eventually freeze. We need both poles, and the same is true as God created men and women. He needed both of them. The world needs both of us. And here's an interesting thing to me. The word Ezer appears 20, Ezer appears 21 times in the Old Testament, twice describing the woman here as God created her. Um, uh, gosh, I lost where I was. But the um, 16 times it refers, or there's a few times it refers to other countries when the Israel's looking for military aid as they um, are going to battle. But listen to this, 16 times the word is used to describe God himself. So God uses the word that describes himself to describe the woman that he created. Now that's not a weak second class citizen, is it? That's someone who's strong. That's someone who has purpose. That's someone that God wants to use for his kingdom. That's who he created you and me to be. So throw away that whole idea that the woman is supposed to be meek and and quiet and a second-class citizen and just come alongside to kind of do what everybody else needs them to do. God created you to be strong and powerful. And Azer Konegdo a reflection of his own character, a reflection of his own self. Genesis 2.18 could be translated, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a power or strength equal to him. That's who you are, ladies. God made for the man a woman fully his equal and fully his match. And that word azer is used consistently throughout scripture in military terms. Like I said, when they, Israel would ask other countries to come alongside and help them in battle, that's what they were referring to, azer. You come be my azer. You be my military um, person that comes alongside to fight with me. You can see that azer's a warrior. Psalm 33:20 says this, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. He is our azer. That's the word there. It's not a lowly assistant, but a powerful figure who comes alongside to rescue, who comes alongside to save, who comes alongside to provide the strength that is needed. And God has created you as his daughter to be an azer warrior. That's who you are. If you think back to our definition, a helper as in front of him, I mean, put that in a military term. That means you're in front. You're the shield bearer. You're the one who goes out and you're gonna take some slings of the enemy against you, right? That's who you are. You're in the front, walking alongside your partner. You're God's creative masterpiece. Ladies, I don't want you to sell yourself short. He designed and created you this way. You're, to be a biblical woman has as many different uh, manifestations as there are women. 
God created us to be strong, a work of genius, uh, just how the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who he created you to be. I remember there were times in my life where I, I kind of, I mean, you just feel kind of funny. You see men getting um, accolades or getting advantages and, and women treated maybe a little bit differently as if, if you are not quite all that a man is. You are a second-class citizen because of your gender. And it would kind of irritate me, and I'm sure all of you women have experienced that at some point or another. But when I learned who God had designed and created me to be, it changed everything. Because suddenly I knew he made me strong, and he made me purposeful, and he made me to be a warrior and, and someone to come alongside and help those in his kingdom. And when you embrace who that is, who he created you to be, everything begins to change. But what happens, ladies, when you step in to do something that God's created you to do, to be who he designed you to be? I'll tell you what happens to me. There's that little voice that starts playing, right? And it says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to teach a Bible study? Who do you think you are to raise these beautiful children? Who do you think you are to lead a small group? Who do you think you are? And that would just, I'd just fall out. Well, I can't, who do I, who do I think I am? Who do you think you are to write a book? Exactly. But when you learn to, to recognize that little voice and talk back to it and answer the question with the truth of who God said you are, things change. Because who did he say you are? You are a beloved warrior. You are Azer Connecto. And you begin to talk back to that voice in your head, the enemy, honestly, who's whispering those things to you and says, I'll tell you who I am. I'm a beloved warrior designed and created and called by God to do the things he has for me to do for his kingdom purposes. That's who you are. That's who God has called you to be. So when you hear that whisper, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Learn to answer back and say, I'm a beloved warrior. And beloved means that you are loved. You can operate from a place of love, no matter who that person is in your life, whether it's your spouse or a coworker, maybe it's a child or a distant relative, a parent even. You can choose to love them because you are loved. God loved you and he filled you up with his love and it can overflow from you, no matter what the relationship is like, no matter what the circumstances are. God says, you are beloved, so you can love. That's what he's called us to do. Listen to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So I hope that wherever you are, regardless of the season of your life, regardless of where you've been or what you've experienced, that you'll step into this identification today if you haven't already. That you are Azer Connecto, beloved warrior and child of the king. That's good, isn't it, ladies? You know, it's, it's been amazing for me to watch Laura just become all that God intended for her to be. And so powerful and so encouraging. It, it, it's been an amazing thing. Well, what about us, guys? What is our role? Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven three through 9. In a marriage relationship, there is authority from Christ to husband and from husband to wife. The authority of Christ is the authority of God. Any man who speaks with God or about God in a way that shows a lack of respect for the authority of Christ dishonors Christ. In the same way, a wife who speaks with God in a way that shows a lack of respect for the authority of her husband dishonors her husband. Worse, she dishonors herself, an ugly sight. Now, guys, before you go, yeah, I knew God liked me better. You know, he put me in charge. That's the, listen. Some of us are going, yeah, after all, God is a man, right? Now, listen to what the, the book of Numbers says. It says, God is not a man. He doesn't lie. God isn't the son of a man to want to take back what he said 
or to say something and not follow through or to speak and not act on it. It's a little bit of a kind of comes back on us again. Are we the ones that don't follow through or are we the ones that speak and don't act on it? He says, I'm not a man. One of God's favorite words to describe who God is, is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. But you know the word Shad, that comes from the word Shad in Hebrew, which is breast. It's the idea of the infant that nurses at his mom's breast. And all he needs, all that infant needs is breast milk. It's, been, it's amazing to me that an infant can survive only on breast milk for that whole, you know, however long it is that you do that till they start eating solid food. And that's what God is saying. I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm the one that, that you can depend on for all your needs. Now, another word that God loves about himself, he uses the word father. And a lot of us, we haven't had that earthly father that was what we really needed. Maybe they let us down. But when we look at the word father, it, it's, it's strong. It's formidable, dangerous even. And I'm not saying dangerous in an abusive kind of way. I'm saying a dangerous man. In fact, I think women are looking for men like that. We talk about toxic masculinity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a man that is masculine, that knows who he is and who God created him to be and is strong and, and powerful and even a little bit dangerous. But here's the thing, guys, it's not a privilege. It's a responsibility, a responsibility that God has given us. When we get to heaven, God's not going to look at our wives and say, how'd the family turn out? How? He's going to look at us. He says, you are the point man. That's how I see it. I had, a, I had a friend who fought in Vietnam, and that was just an awful war because our, our country could never decide like what our rules of engagement were, you know? And they would keep changing the rules, and every, nobody could figure out what it was. And he said it was a really confusing war. But he said that the average time that a lieutenant dropped into a middle of a war zone lived, you know how long it was? Like 38 seconds. It was terrible. But he said his little platoon, his patrol, that he would carry a sawed-off shotgun instead of the, you know, the, the M16 or whatever rifle they were using. He said, because when we engaged the enemy, it was like we're cutting through the jungle, and then all of a sudden there they are, like five feet away. And we're engaged. And he said, we would always take turns being the point man. Nobody wanted to be the point man. Because the point man always took the first bullet. Sometimes before you even knew the enemy was there. And so it was always the scariest thing to be the point man. And as I began to think about that, and, and especially in connotation, I'd never seen it before when we really dug into that word azer connecto, and it meant to be in front. I began to think of you women as like the shield bearers. You know, they had shield bearers in, in all through the Old Testament and when they, you would see the king or the prince, they would always have a shield bearer or an armor bearer that would be beside them holding the shield and taking a lot of the flaming arrows of the enemy. But one of the big things the shield bearer did was encourage. And I was looking in um, the book of 1 Samuel and it had this whole story about Jonathan. You remember David and Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of the king, but David was going to be the next king. Jonathan knew it. But Jonathan was a mighty man in his own right. And the Philistines were an enemy of Israel and they were a lot stronger than Israel at this time. Their army was stronger. And so it says in there that the, the the men of Israel, they hid in, a lot of them hid in the mountains because they didn't want to fight against them. They knew they were going to be killed. They knew that they would lose. But Jonathan and his armor bearer had gone out and they were kind of looking around to kind of get the lay of the land where the battle was going to take place. And Jonathan just felt this strong impulse from God. And he said, I feel like that I'm supposed to go up and engage these Philistines at the top of this hill right here. And he's telling his armor bearer that. Listen to what the armor bearer said. His armor bearer said to him, do everything that is in your heart. Give it all you've got. I am with you, heart and soul. 
What an encouragement. I hear your dream. I hear what you're saying. Hey, I'm with you. Life or death, I'm with you. And ladies, that's what you get to do with us as we are together in this, as we battle against this broken world and we try to bring the image of God into this broken culture. It's so important that we realize how strong we are together. And they went up and it said on a half acre plot of ground, they killed 20 something Philistines. And not only that, but all of a sudden the ground began to shake because God got involved. And the Philistines got all confused and scared and they all started running. And it said the men who had hidden themselves in the hills saw the Philistines running and they all came out and began to chase them down. And Israel won a mighty victory that day. And Jonathan and his armor bearer gave courage to all those that had hidden away. That's what we're to do. That's who we're to be together. Sakaub, male, a man who never forgets that he's meant to infuse God's image into this world. That nothing matters more than bringing Christ's kingdom to earth. You know, when I think of a strong man, I think of my dad. I think of Laura's dad. They're both strong, godly men. And when my dad passed, it seemed like the world changed in some ways because he was such a rock. And we were talking, Laura and I, the other day about when your dad passes, it's not going to be the same world as it is right now. Because I see them as like this giant boulder in the middle of a rushing river and the water just has to part around them. It's like culture just has to part around them and they stand their ground and they speak about the image of God, strong, powerful, dangerous, a divine weight, a man who realizes he will never move more into others until he's broken with how self-obsessed he is with his own well-being, how stuck, how unable to move and to really love deeply, impacting no one with his life. If we realize that, then things begin to change. You see, guys, I think we have a deep fear, our deepest fear, that we'll be weightless, that we will be insufficient, that those around us will discover that we're not adequate. Oh, he, he thinks he's a decent guy. I mean, he goes to church and uh, you know, cares about his family and he even gives to the offering. But somewhere deep down inside, there's this strong dread, but he manages to smother it with overwork and social things and maybe, you know, shooting in the low 80s on the golf course. The dread, whatever it is, lies stubbornly unexamined. Something his pastor said, though, keeps rolling around in his mind. If you're given to outbursts of rage that you later regret, if sexual urges drive you towards satisfaction with little thought of anyone but yourself, if your conversations with other men revolve mostly around sports, politics, and social banter, if moving toward your wife or girlfriend to help her be fully alive as a woman is a new thought to you, then you're likely living with a false understanding of what it means to be a man. A man is least masculine, not as culture says when he makes little money or his body is weak, nor when he receives little recognition and he makes little impact, but when his soul is frozen and his words do more to protect himself from feeling the pain of insignificance than to pour hope into those who feel empty and hopeless and alone. He may appear the devoted husband, a Christian who believes that it's his calling to protect his wife rather than pursue her, but they don't journey together. How many men really tune in to the deep needs of their wives or their daughters or their aging parents or even their friends? How many men probe with gentleness into the inner world of their wives or girlfriends willing to discover, to struggle, a struggle they have no idea how to solve and then stay with her in the pain without solution? So this brings me to another set of tools, and those tools are love and respect. 
love and respect. Let me read you from chapter five of Ephesians. It's considered by most theologians, the great treatise on marriage in the Bible. It says this, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. He reveals this command from the very heart of God. Another verse in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. You know, it's so interesting that word for love is agape. It's the love that God has, this unconditional love. And it never says in this passage, wives, love your husbands. It doesn't say that. And I thought, why doesn't it say wives, love your husbands? It always says husbands, love your wives. I think it's, ladies, because you naturally have this, this unconditional love that you pour out to your husband and to your children. But guys, we don't necessarily have that. It says, wives, respect your husbands because that's how we feel love. We'll talk about that in a minute. It does have another passage. Let me read you this one. It says, guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks but models of goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children. That's in the book of Titus. But that word for love, we can't see it in English, but in, in the original Greek, that's a different word. It's not agape. It's phileo, which means a friendship kind of love. Basically, I think what the Bible's saying is, ladies, you're going to naturally have this unconditional love. But in this broken world of ours, as you're beat down by the culture, as you're beat down even you know, maybe by the words uh, of your husband, you are beat down by the rebellion of your kids as they become teenagers and the disrespect that they show you. And, and you love them unconditionally, but it's hard sometimes to hold that friendship kind of love. So, you know, your husband and kids can kind of get to the point that I know she loves me, but I don't know if she likes me, you know? And the Bible's saying that teach that kind of love for the women. So the Bible teaches the opposite of what culture is trying so hard to ingrain into us. Men and women are different down to their very core needs. It's, it's different what we need. And if we don't know, we're going to try to love the same way and we'll fail. We have to love our mate the way they feel love. Dr. John Gottman, he's a professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington. He did a 20-year study studying 2,000 couples that had been married 20 to 40 years as he did the study. And he said, I found two things that characterized, and only two, because they were so different, but these two things characterized every single relationship that lasted, love and respect. I saw that in every single one of them. I think it's so important that we submit to the truth of Scripture over even what our culture would try to tell us. Because as we do that, we begin to see, we begin to understand how this really works. We're not just flipping the light switch, flipping the light switch. It's time to change the bulb. So Laura's going to tell you, ladies, how to show your man love. One of the best things that I ever learned to practice and am still learning to practice is to give respect to Mark, to recognize that that's exactly what he needs. Like he read in Ephesians 5, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's how your husband feels love. Respect means love to him. And when you don't show him respect, he doesn't feel loved. That's the way that Mark feels, um, knows that I'm committed to the relationship. He feels secure in our relationship when I give respect to him. And that's why God says it's so important. You know, for many of us, that it's hard to fathom because it's not what we're looking for. We're looking for that love, that companionship like Mark talked about. But men are looking for respect. You know, uh, Otis... I mean, Aretha Franklin sang that song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. But did you know that a man actually wrote the song? Otis Redding wrote that song. And I just think that's uh, 
pretty powerful to know that if you think about the words to that song, that it was actually a man who wrote it because he knew that was the cry of his heart and the cry of men's hearts. So the Bible teaches us to give unconditional respect. And that feels weird. We never hear about unconditional respect. I mean, isn't respect earned? I mean, don't give you him have respect. to? I'll give him respect when he deserves respect. Exactly. But the Bible teaches to give it unconditionally. It's not that you respect necessarily his behavior, but you're respecting him because he was created and designed by God, and he bears the image of Christ in him, and that's worthy of our respect. So even if it's difficult for you, maybe you're in a difficult situation and, and maybe your, your husband or is, is doing things that, that in your mind are not respect worthy. But if you can put your focus on who he is and who God created him to be an image bearer of Christ, that's worthy of respect and you can choose to give it to him that way. Now you might be thinking, okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> How do I do that? I think the first thing is just simply to recognize that it's God's command to us. It's not just a suggestion when he says it in the scripture. It's a command form. He's saying, respect your husbands. Give respect to your husband. And when you recognize that it's a command and then you choose to obey it, then things begin to change. So that's the very first step. The other thing I think that is so important is to carefully choose your words, your expressions, um, your, your facial expressions, your tone of voice, all of those things can communicate disrespect, even if you don't mean for it to do so. Um, I, I don't normally mince my words. <laughs> and if I know That's you, the truth. if I know you well, you know, I don't try to sugarcoat anything. I'll just kind of say what I think and say how it is. But sometimes that can come across kind of harsh. And Mark has learned to, you know, have grace for me in those moments. But if I can begin to, to temper the, the words that I use and temper the tone of my voice, I'm going to have a better chance of communicating respect to Mark. You know, and it can be so often those things that are nonverbal. You know, we communicate with words, but we communicate even more with nonverbal expressions, right? The expression on your face or the tone of the voice or gestures that you make. It can be as simple as rolling your eyes, that's very disrespectful. Maybe you just kind of use a little flick of the hand and turn your back, you know, like look the other way. That's very disrespectful. And it's so easy to do. Maybe it's just a, a sound you make that, you know, tsk. you guys ever done that? Or the, <sighs> oh, brother. <laughs> okay, I'll go do the dishes again, I'll go take out the trash. It's those little things that we communicate. And sadly, like, I know what I'm communicating most of the time. And I imagine you do too. And so we have to make the choice that says, I'm going to talk respectfully. I'm going to have respectful expressions on my face. I'm not going to roll my eyes. I'm not going to walk away or turn my back on Mark. I'm going to listen and show respect to him. That makes a huge difference for your husband. And he knows that he is loved because you do that. One uh, national study of 400 men, and they were given this choice. They said, if you were forced to choose one of the following, which would you prefer to have? To be left alone and unloved in the world, and to be left alone and unloved in the world, or to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. What do you think the men chose? 75% said they would rather be left alone and unloved than be disrespected. It's that important. That is love to the men in your life, whether it's your husband, your child, your parent, your coworker. We have to demonstrate respect to them. These men are saying, I'd rather live with a wife who respected me and didn't love me than live with a wife who loved me and didn't respect me. It's that important, ladies. Mark recently received a handwritten note from a fellow pastor and, and talking about a sermon he had preached recently that this guy watched online. And he ended his note with deep respect. And it just caught my attention because I thought, you know, 
that's what our men need. And, and he knew that because he was a man when he wrote the note. And he knew that would speak volumes to Mark as he read it. So ladies, I'm going to encourage you. Maybe your first step this week you can't go out and buy a Hallmark card that says, you know, I respect you so much. They just don't make them. I've looked for them, actually, um, hoping. <laughs> um, so maybe you buy a Hallmark card and just cross out love and put respect on there. Or you make your own card this week. And it says something to your husband communicating how much you respect him. I'll give you just a couple of examples in case it's hard for you to get started. It says, maybe you write, I was thinking about you today and how you would die for me. That's an overwhelming thought for me. Thank you for your faithfulness to me with all my respect and sign your name. Or maybe to the man I married, you are the most hardworking husband I'm grateful for your leadership and your commitment to provide for our family. When I'm in your strong arms, I feel safe and secure. Deep respect and sign your name. Now don't put like the way you sit on the couch and play video games. It's the most amazing, no. <laughs> you can find something in you this are man. extremely good at Call of Duty. Thank you. <laughs> he probably would like that if you respected his Call of Duty prowess, but... Um, these men created and designed by God with his image, you can find something to respect and you can write it in that note. And I know what some you're Some of you are going to have to work hard, okay, but you can find something. <laughs> That's why I gave you some examples. But I know what you're thinking. You know, I can't do it now because you said it out loud in the service and he's going to know I'm just doing it because you told him to do it. He won't care. <laughs> he won't care. It's going to feel so good to him. So go home this week, sit down, take some time, ask God to show you what are the words your husband needs to hear. Write it out for him. Deep respect and sign your name. When Laura and I would have an argument and we'd be on different sides of things, did you know that the goal in marriage is not to agree? It's to feel safe with each other. You're never gonna agree on everything. But when we were on different sides of things, she, she would roll her eyes and go like that. And I thought, she's just saying, I'm an idiot. And I said, you always are disrespecting me. And I remember when I said that to her, finally got it out, her eyes flew open and she said, I respect you more than any person on the planet. And I was like, oh, well, tell your face then. You know, but, um, but it, it really did change That's what things. I'm talking about. <laughs> it changed things for us completely. Just that little... Okay, guys, how do you show love? You know, remember the terrible helicopter crash with Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the others that were in that? The pilot, it was a foggy morning, and the pilot was so sure. He didn't have an instrument panel in front of him, and he was so sure he was flying over the mountain, but he wasn't. He was flying directly into the side of the mountain. In fact, he was flying down and into the side of the mountain. But he was so sure because there was no instrument panel. The scriptures are our instrument panel, guys. And we've got to understand that because let me just tell you something. You are dead wrong in thinking that that woman is trying to control you. She is trying to connect with you. And that's a totally different thing. Now, maybe she's doing it really poorly, you know. But I have guys all the time. She, she, she called, she, I get home from work. I'm so tired. And she says, tell me about your whole day. What did you do? She just wants to know everything. Like she's so jealous or I don't know what it is, you know, or she'll call me. What are you doing right now? I'm working, you know. And now she's trying to connect. She loves you. And when your wife who loves you with her whole heart is negative and offensive, guys, she's saying, Please connect with me. Now, some of you are thinking, and that's when I would never want to do that, you know, because she's so offensive and so negative. But if you will do something different, if you will pay attention to the scriptures. I was talking to a guy in, in, in therapy. His wife would just emasculate him. And he said, I can't live with this woman anymore. And I gave him something to do, some homework. And he said, this is so stupid, but I'll do it. And he came back and go, it worked. What he did was, he said, when she started on him again, she said, honey, you can stand there and emasculate me. 
Or you can go over and sit on the couch and let me come and sit with you. Hold my hand and we can pray together about this. He said this woman who I was so sure would just scoff at that stopped everything. She went over and she sat on the couch. She bowed her head and she held her hand out. And he was like, now what do I do? You know? (laughs) She was trying to connect. Ladies, shocker, men hear criticism as contempt, especially if your tone is off. But Peter advises husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I'm so glad he didn't say, understand your wife. Impossible, right? That's not something that's ever going to happen. But he says, live with her in an understanding way. What is, what's an understanding way? What does it look like? What is, it, it, love her in the way that she feels love. Connect with her. You know, the, 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 the thing that just sets off alarms. I think of Star Trek, you know, red alert, red alert. When your wife says, can we talk? Uh, what do you want to talk about? And it just, I mean, like she doesn't, that's just how we think. What do you want to talk about? That would be like you saying to your wife, honey, can we make love? And she goes, why? You want to have another kid? And you go, no, no, I was wanting to connect with you. You know, I was like, but that's what we do. Honey, can we talk? Listen. Laura's learned to instruct me because I would, she would say, here's what's going, you know, she has an issue going on like someone is really mean to her or something like that. And I said, well, honey, here's what you need to do. And I would preach a three-point sermon with a poem at the end, basically. And she would go, I know all of that. Well, let me tell you four scriptures. I know those already. See, I figured out something, guys. Your wife is way smarter than you are, okay? And she already knows that. Like you're trying to instruct her That's not why she told you that. What does she want from you? To listen? To be with her in life? To make it feel like that you're truly a partnership in this warfare on this broken planet? That she's the shield bearer and you're the point man and you are in this together, not totally separated out? She wants to connect with you and it's so important that we do it. How do you do that? I mean, what are we going to talk about, Mark? You know, he says, can we talk? Sure. You're not going to probably have to worry about it. Just practice. Act like you're a therapist, okay? You know what therapists do. Have you ever been to a therapist? Some of you need to be at a therapist, you know? And, and, and like the therapist goes, hmm, tell me more about that. Wow, how did that make you feel? I mean, just pretend like you're a therapist. It works out great, you know? Even if she's psychotic, it helps, okay? Because... It, it, it's like, hmm, you know, and, and you're connecting. And it's the most amazing thing. She's not coming to you because she wants you to solve it. She knows how to solve it. She's coming to you to have connection, to have a safe place. Little Sarah, my daughter, when she was just three years old, she's talking to me about something that was a little issue in her little three-year-old life. And I'm working on my computer, uh-huh, uh-huh. And all of a sudden, I feel this little hand on my chin, and she's turned my face. She goes, Daddy, listen to me with your eyes. (laughs) My son David never did that. That would be weird if he did that even, actually, you know? But listen to me with your eyes. Are you engaged? It's so important that we do that. That's how your wife feels love. Listen to this. One counseling session, woman came back and said, my husband has been talking more to me, been more affectionate. I feel like we've been closer in the past few weeks than we have in years. The other night, I even felt strongly sexually attracted to him. Bum, bum. Oh, well, at least he's... Something going on, if it's not a spiritual thing, right? Proverbs. 1623 says, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth. Do you really love your wife? Tell your mouth. Listen. Okay, guys, here's your homework. Are you ready? This is homework. Say to your wife, tonight at supper, after dinner, 
Let's have coffee. Some of you need decaf. Tell me all about your day and I'll tell you all about mine. She's going to faint. You won't even have to do it. She's just be on the ground, right? How about this? Honey, what would you think about taking a few extra minutes every night after we put the kids to bed and turning off the computers and TV and just talking about our day? Then we can pray together. If it's okay with you, I'd like to start tonight. You guys look so frozen out there right now. <laughs> hey, I want to try that. Honey, you know, you know it's, it won't matter. Again, she heard me say it. It doesn't matter. Don't, don't try to come up with something original. Okay? Here's a little help for those of you that maybe grew up in a family that didn't talk a lot or you didn't share emotions. Mark and I found on Amazon these boxes of cards. There's all kinds of them. One of them's called Our Moments in particular, but it's just conversation starters. So if that's hard for you, get something like that. And she begin won't to care use if it. you grab the card. You don't have to hide it and go like, hey, I got a question for you, baby. You know, you just go with it, you know. And don't get the one about sex, okay? I did that. That's a bad mistake, you know. Don't find out about, you know. But it's, it's like, do it. Just do it. We're very different. It's a cob, male. We're so different than the female. We need to understand that. Now, next week, we're going to talk about dysfunction and this is something, dysfunction is something we both bring in out of our past traumas. Almost every argument and trigger that you have is not with your current spouse. It's with the past, especially our upbringing more than anything else or the traumas that we experienced. And we'll talk about that next week. I want you to bow your heads with me though. Let me just pray over you. God, Father, I love that you're dangerous. I love that you're powerful. I love that you're strong, but that you love mercy and you love justice and you love us as your little ones. And we can come to you and you just listen. You know how to solve everything, but you listen to us. Would you help us guys do that? I love that you called a strong warrior to walk equally with us, to encourage us, to pour courage into us, our wives. Would you enable the wives to do that? So many people are discouraging today. So many circumstances take courage away. Let our marriages pour courage into each other. Only you can do this, God. And next week as we discover the dysfunctions and we repent and we turn around and we start to live through those things and find out more about them. Would you, just, would you just use these three weeks to change our marriages? Come kingdom of God upon our closest relationships as we obey your word, your scriptures as our instrument panel and we see you, God himself, El Shaddai, Father, beginning to move in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.